Inspired by hip-hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kisik is beautifulfeathentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry and it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, beautifulfeetentertainment.com, and the links are also available in our social media and podcast. So please consider The Sanctuary of My Solitude if you're looking for a next great read. Thank you so much. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And uh, this week, we're going to go ahead and dive into something a little more, uh, how would you put it? A little more fun-loving? Uh, I was going to say a little bit more icy. I see. I like it. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to be diving into something a little more icy. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be fun-loving. It's going to be a good conversation. What are we talking about this week? So, this week, we're talking about the Mighty Ducks movie, the original movie, the first Mighty Ducks movie from 1992. Yes. So, um, yeah, so well, basically, we're, we're just going to kind of talk about the premise of the movie, talk about what goes on in the movie, and really just give our thoughts on the movie. But if you have not seen it, please feel free to pause this podcast Go watch it. It's on Disney Plus, correct? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, so and honestly, it's a fantastic movie, right? And right now, Disney Plus actually has like a curated Mighty Ducks collection due to the popularity of their newest series, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Yeah, and we've been watching that too. We love that show. Oh, it's hilarious. But to get prepped for that show, we went all the way back. We watched all three movies, and boy, it was a walk down memory lane. So I'm gonna start with you. Let's talk about um. Let's just talk about our memories of the movie. So for me, the Mighty Ducks franchise is always going to be linked with my dad because he's the person that I really remember watching these movies with. Yeah. Well, for me, it was my siblings, right? My like my sister and I would actually sit and watch these movies. Um, and we always watch them back to back. We watch the first one, second one, third one, you know. Um, but continue. Well, I think the reason that... that hmm. <laughs> I we're, not, think we're, not <laughs> editing, we're not editing that out. That's going to stay right there. <laughs> I think the reason that my dad liked these movies so much is because it's not like a Disney princess story. Because I would watch... The Little Mermaid, oh, so many times. So, so, so many times. So you were a fan of the Disney princess movies. Yes. This allowed your parents to kind of have that break of like, okay, she's hooked on the ducks. Let's keep this train moving and let's have some fun. More or less. Yeah. Okay. Well, and my dad too, like he's really into kind of like like you are with the underdog sports movies. Yeah. You, you Your dad and I are way too similar. <laughs> Well, then don't they say that, like, you end up kind of marrying someone who is, like... Like, your spouse ends up being a reflection of, like... One of your parents, whether it's your mother, your father, whatever it is. So, for me, it would be my dad. For you, it would be your mom. (laughs) That just sent shivers up my spine. Goodness. Do Um, not be so, like, hating on your family on the air. (laughs) Anyway, so let's talk about... So you used to watch the movie with your dad. Yes. Um, when did you start watching it? Because it came out in 92. We would have been roughly about five. Did you watch it at the time? Or was it something you went back to years later? See, I feel like I remember the second movie more vividly. Oh, I can't wait the for that one. The one from then. 1996. So perhaps, because I would have been a little bit older at that at that time... We would have gone back and watched the first one before that. So, most likely, your introduction was D2, 
and then you went back and was like, hey, there's, a, there's the original, let's watch that. Yeah. Most likely. Now, again, that's hard to remember because it was a couple years ago. Um, now, for me, like I said, I used to, I've actually remember watching this movie, not when it came out, but before the first or second movie came out. So I remember just enjoying it. But when the second one came out, I think that's when it became like a fan thing for me. It became mm-hmm. a very interesting... Um, it was just a fun connection to kind of go back and watch one and then two. So for the whole month of June, we are going to be taking the next three weeks to focus on the Mighty Ducks yes. trilogy. And then we might have an interview at the very end of June, but we're if trying. not, I have a backup plan. Yeah, so. we're, we're, we're trying to get some interviews, um, but you know, things happen. Schedules need to be planned out. Anyway, so... Let's briefly talk about the, the plot to this movie. So, the central character for this movie is a lawyer named Gordon Bombay. And the setting for this movie is Minnesota. Yes. Um, now, Bombay is, like she said, he's a lawyer. He's like a high-end lawyer. Like, he's one of those dudes who's so good at his job, his license plate says, well, it's always win. Just win. Just win. So, yeah, he's like, he's so used to, you know, I'm really good at my job. I, I can't be beaten. He goes out and he celebrates one night because he wins a big case. He celebrates by um, basically drinking and driving. Not a smart combination. And he gets pulled over for it. Um, instead of losing his job, instead of his career being on the line, the firm decides he's going to do community service. And that's how he hooks up with, at the time, they're called D- District 5 or D5. So, in contrast to Gordon's stellar career of winning in a courtroom, he is paired up with a group of, I don't want to call them children, we'll call them preteens. Yes. These kids have never won a game ever. Well, and not only that, they come from, most of them come from, like, the poor side of the neighborhood, right? Like, there's one point where, um, when they're getting ready for a practice, one of the kids is, like, taping magazines to his shins because he Mm -hmm. can't afford pads for his shins. Uh, I don't think it was the goalie. I think it was somebody else. Because the goalie, I mean, I couldn't imagine that pain. You know what I mean? So, Um, um, at first, Gordon and the kids really don't get along very well well gordon actually very openly says i don't like kids he tells the kids i'm just here to fulfill my community hours once that's done i'm out so just and he basically lets them kind of do whatever they want as long as he's able to sign off his community hours um what actually brings him back into hockey because he used to play hockey as a kid he fell away from it which we'll talk about in a moment but what brings him back She's thinking, she's <laughs> thinking. Um, well, I know that he goes to his firm and is like, hey, we could do some pro bono work. We can sponsor these kids as like, they could be our team so that way they could have the supplies and the things that they need. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be Hans? Hans. There we go. Thank you. Let's talk <laughs> about Hans. Hans is really like the heart of this movie. I love but him he play- so much. Exactly. He <laughs> plays such a small role, but it's so embedded in the in the character. So Hans, help me out with this. He basically owns a hockey supply shop. Yeah. And one of Gordon's like first jobs was just being a kid who sharpens the skates. Yes, which I don't think I would let kids sharpen <laughs> skates. There's I don't know. I've never, time. I've never done it before. So, uh, and they became real good friends. Um, again, because Gordon played hockey a lot as a kid, uh, up until he was about the age of these kids. So I would mm-hmm. say 12, 13 at the highest. You know what I mean? But um, then he fell away from hockey for a long time. So. So Hans was an individual that Gordon really went to. For advice and they did have a very good relationship with one another and I think it's his intervention 
like just talking with Gordon, that really helps Charlie and his friends to be able to all benefit from that. Keep in mind, Charlie is the main character. Like he's, he's the the main child in the movie. Yes, played by Joshua Josh Joshua <laughs> Jackson, who I mean, let's be honest. I feel like for that time period, he was a lot of. Ladies' first crushes between oh. these franchise and Dawson's Creek. We we, like. we we gonna get in, we gonna get into that. Uh, That'll be more for when we review like D two. Yeah, because by now he's not nobody's crush. Yeah, no, he's. But again, I mean, I mean, I could see people, girls his age mm-hmm. at the time, maybe being like, "Yo, that kid's cute" or whatever. I don't know. I knew I thought he was the coolest person on the ice. He was, and I'm wow, that's quite the pun. Uh, on the ice, huh? <laughs> he was no. He was he was he was he was the character that like everybody wanted to be him. So when you acted out the movie, everyone's like, "No, I'm gonna be Charlie." I'm. Did nobody want to be like anyone else? Well, of course, because Charlie is team captain. Well, yeah, he gets that title later. Um, but yeah, so and Charlie actually reminds Gordon a lot of Gordon as a kid. That's why they kind of bond. Mm-hmm. Right, so basically, through the intervention of Hans, through the relationship with Charlie and the relationship he's building with his team, um, Gordon starts to fall in love with hockey all over again and actually enjoy coaching. Right, but he teaches them a very valuable lesson. Okay, that lesson um, is basically let's have fun, mm-hmm. let's make hockey fun. And that is the juxtaposition of that is the other team, like the other main team of this movie, is the Hawks. And their coach, even he was the coach when Gordon was a kid, uh, is very like, you win, that's all you need to do. You don't need to have fun. This is a competition, you're supposed to win. Uh, and he's very harsh. Well, and Gordon also, like with the Ducks, they have this overarching theme that you're going to see in all three movies is that the ducks fly together. Yes. So this concept of like, okay, this is your team. Like, these are the people that you're going to be protecting out there on the ice. Yes. Well, and, and what I loved about it is, okay, when, when the movie first starts and they're District 5, um, they really, um, they're really a mismatched team. They all come from different parts of a like of the same area. They really don't belong. They they don't they don't seem like they belong together. But because of Gordon's concept of ducks fly together and building confidence in each other, they become a cohesive team that you see through all three movies. And it seemed this movie seemed like a realistic point of view of coaching. Keep in mind, I've never coached. I have been a teacher before, and it's it's got some similarities to that. Um, so I enjoyed that. Now, what I really want to dive into, um, besides your your crush on Joshua Jackson, I admitted that he was a lot of other people's crushes yeah. too. It's not just no, me. yeah, it's not just you. <laughs> and he, you know what? And like seeing him like later on in the movies when he is an adult, I'm like, I can understand why people. Had a crush on him. He was a good-looking dude. So the I other thing you would like, like to talk about... Let's talk about um, how this transitioned from a movie almost into real life. Okay, so... Let's see, let's see, if, let's see where <laughs> she goes with this. I can't figure out like, how to phrase this, but like before this movie, Anaheim did not have a hockey team. But because of the success of this movie, Anaheim, the city in California, got a hockey team out of it. The Mighty Ducks. Or now it's just the Anaheim Ducks since yeah. 2005. Yeah. And Anthony and I, like, we've actually gone to Anaheim, obviously, because, like, that's where Disneyland Must. is. And part of my family's from there. And part of your family is from there, but, yeah. I mean, like, Disney. So when you fly in to Orange County, you get off the plane, there is literally like a Mighty Ducks style bar in the airport. Yeah. So, I didn't realize this as a kid. Like, I knew the movie, they were called the Mighty Ducks. I knew in real life there was a team called the Mighty Ducks. I didn't put it together 
that the movie influenced the name of the team. I thought it was the other way around. I thought the name of the team was picked for the movie. So it's kind of like a which came first, the yeah. chicken or the egg sort of a thing? And then I dove into this as we were watching the movies. Oh my goodness, you went on a deep dive. Like, so much so that when I would pull up Google, like, I would see ads for Charlie Conway's hockey jersey. Yes, I almost bought it. Google. It was like 15 bucks. <laughs> anyway, so... Maybe for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I've we found out that like the reason why they they made the movie not made the movie, but the reason why the movie influenced the naming of the team for Anaheim was because well one Anaheim like Anaheim's in in California, in the same area where Disneyland is, the Mighty Ducks the movie was made by Disney, mm-hmm. and then we realized, and then I realized that the Disney owned the actual team the mighty ducks which is why they got that name i didn't know that they owned a hockey team now they don't own them anymore they sold them probably around 2005 Mm -hmm. which is why they changed the name um but i thought that was very one it was strange because i never expected disney to own a hockey team well i feel like a lot of affluent companies also are like hey we have sports affiliates well not only that any any business that's really that as successful as disney they have their hands in a lot of different businesses that you may never know about because that's where a lot of the revenue is going to come from mm-hmm. so it makes sense now that i think about it but as a kid i thought it was just i thought it was just a coincidence because nobody thinks about that when they're 10 Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, in order to do some quote unquote research for this podcast, obviously we watched all three films, but then of course we love imdb.com, so we looked up like the synopsis of the film, the cast of characters, and we were going through the trivia for the film as well. And did you have that pulled up still? I should, yes, okay, let's take should a look, it should be under Google. Mm, not there. Oh, no. Oh, there it is. There okay. <laughs> so, let's go to, let's go back to the, to the trivia. I mean, was there anyone that stood out to you, any trivia? I like the one about, um, Gordy Howe. Let's see if I can find that. Like, of course, I don't have my glasses on right now. So, there it is. Here we go. In the flashback scenes as a child, Gordon Bombay is wearing the number nine. His dad even calls him Gordy. Gordy, a.k.a. Mr. Hockey Howe, also wore number nine in his NHL career for the Detroit Red Wings. I like that. I, I feel like this movie, now that we're like reading through some of the trivia... It definitely shows that the, the filmmakers had some knowledge of hockey. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, I have zero knowledge of hockey. Your family could school me in hockey. <laughs> um, her family is big into hockey. so. Well, like um, my both of my parents are from the eastern part of the country. So where it gets cold and icy. Back east, it is very cold and icy. Hockey is very big there because when it's very cold, there's not a lot you want to do outside. So, of course, you just watch other people play on um, ice. Play on ice because that makes perfect sense, right? Right. Well, and even your mom talks about skating on an actual pond yeah, in they, her childhood. Um, they, there was like a field behind her house that was close to the high school and they would flood it over and let it freeze and that's where everybody went skating. Yeah. Obviously, being here in the Valley of the Sun, when I was taking ice skating lessons, I skated it was indoors. Indoors, well, in a real ice rink. And you and I went skating uh, yes, we once, did. and it I, I didn't fun. fall. No, she was teaching me. I didn't fall. I almost did. I almost busted a nasty. But <laughs> um, no, it was it was fun. We should definitely do it again. But yeah, it, I, it just it's gonna take me some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Basically, like, going kind of going back to the movie, we're not going to go over every bit of the movie, obviously, but obviously at the end, they don't win, they don't, do they win the championship or do they lose it? That's an I know they do question. later. I know they do in the sequels, but I think in the first one, they just qualify, like, they, they lose, but just barely. 
See, so, yeah, I thought they did end up going to like state, but then that's what I'm saying. Like they get so far, but they don't win like the ultimate, yeah. like the the championship. Um, but honestly, like it's a super fun movie to watch. It is so much fun to watch. Because later on, there is that news clipping of like, oh, Bombay leads the Ducks to victory, but that's not in this particular movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it like I said, it has a fun it has a fond place in our hearts because mm-hmm. we grew up watching this movie. Um and yeah, it's just a fun movie to watch. I would definitely suggest you guys watch it. I would highly recommend it. Um if you haven't ever seen it, I'm completely shocked. I'm honestly am. Well, and it was funny because you asked me, you're like, So is there anything that we learned from this movie? And I'm like, hun, when I watch these franchises, like, I'm not interested in learning anything. I just want to kick back and watch a movie. Well, and the reason I ask that is because this was a movie that always, because it's about, you know, building a team and, like, and, and, and um, you know, learning how to, how to win, but also how to have fun. Um, you see these characters bond. And I've always wanted that kind of team bonding, but I never really got it because I never played team sports. Well, and we were talking about, like, okay, let's think about the demographics of this film. Like, who's the target audience? 8 to 12-year-olds. What lessons are they kind of learning and picking up? Like, how to work as a team? How mm-hmm. to work together? Like, that cohesiveness so of the unit. So it's extremely relevant to the audience. And I think it's fun for the parents to watch, too. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents never watched it with us too much. I think my stepmom might have watched it once in a while. Um, my dad, absolutely not. But, I, I mean, I could imagine, you know, now that I'm older, I can imagine watching it and going, that, like, same with your dad. Like, it's not the worst thing we're going to watch. So, mm-hmm. it's pretty fun. So, any other comments on the movie before we go ahead and cut to break? I just think it's, it's nice to see, like... The scenes when they rollerblade through the mall are just so random and hilarious. Was that a thing? Like, did they allow that? Or maybe open malls, I think they would have. But this is like Mall of America type stuff. Like, I don't know how to rollerblade, but I feel like in every public space I've been in, it's like, hey, don't rollerblade inside. Like, you can rollerblade to get to said area. Like, to travel, that's fine. But actually, in the mall, no. Well, like, if it was a mall like we went to today, mm-hmm. I think you could skate around there. Because that was more of an outdoor Because it's mall. an outdoor mall. Now, where they were, it was definitely, like, an indoor mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's definitely, like... And I remember my mom telling me that in certain malls that was allowed at a certain time. When I was a kid, it wasn't allowed. Because by that time... It was just like, no, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt other people. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. But I am curious if that ever was a thing at one point in time. So when we come back from break, we'll be looking into, or as you like to say, diving into Revelation chapter 2. Yes. So um, go ahead, grab your Bibles. We're going to go ahead and jump into Revelation chapter 2 right after this break when we come back with the Beautiful Feet podcast. This episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary of My Solitude, a published book of poetry by me, Anthony Giesick. You can pick up your copy at beautifulfeetentertainment.com, at iUniverse.com, and Amazon.com. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. This is the portion of the podcast where we go ahead and jump into scripture. Um, we're starting with the book of Revelation. Um, we're currently getting ready to go into Revelation chapter 2, but before we do, would you mind giving us a recap of chapter 1? So, Revelation chapter 1, we see um, John is introducing himself again, but he's really also talking about the fact that this is this is not exclusively something that John is coming up with on his own. He takes time to point out the fact that this is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, so John 
with this particular message, it has a specific and direct audience. Um, in this case, we're going to be looking at seven churches, which he calls in the province of Asia, but for us in the modern day context, it would be the country of Turkey. Mm -hmm. So John is going to go through from chapters two and three, these particular letters to each individual church. But in chapter one, he talks about what the resurrected Christ looks like because it's a different vision or I don't really know if I want to say incarnation. I don't know if that's quite the right word we're looking for. But we see that the description of Jesus Christ after he has been resurrected during this time with John on the island of Patmos, he has different physical characteristics. Um, Some of those things that he he talks about is that his hair is very white, his eyes were blazing like fire, his voice is like uh, the sound of rushing waters, his feet were like bronze. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of imagery that we might not see in perhaps like the letters that Paul was writing to the different churches while he was evangelizing and planting churches. Um, we see other references to Jesus that we haven't seen before, like the Alpha and the Omega. And then a, like a, a common theme throughout what we're going to be looking at is the number seven, because that is the biblical number to indicate completion and perfection. Yeah. Now, we, you know, you were mentioning the, the difference of, a, of appearance for Jesus. And I think that's important to remember, especially like the, the, his voice being the sound of rushing waters. Um, and I believe they said something about uh, a double-edged sword like coming out of his mouth, which shows justice, uh, I think is how that worked out. That's important when it comes to chapter 2. Because chapter 2, he's going to start talking to the individual churches. um, And he kind of breaks up the conversation into two different things. He's like, here's the things you're doing really well. Here's the things where you're not doing so well. Well, and I feel like it goes... It it echoes the modern day sentiment of the sandwich compliment. Or the sandwich... Conversation. Like, business model. So the first piece of bread is a compliment... The meat or inner part of the sandwich is the criticism. Yeah. And then you also end with another piece of bread, which is a closing compliment. So, and that's what he's going to do. So in chapter 2, that's basically all of chapter 2. We're only going to talk about four churches of the seven. Yes. So that means chapter 3 will continue that conversation. Um, But like I said, it's important to remember that Jesus is speaking from an area of authority. Um, So again, the voice, the authority in his voice, like all of this is extremely important. Um, Do we want to break down like each individual church? Yeah, let's get started off with the very first church that we're going to be looking at, which is Ephesus. Ephesus. So um, in order to kind of do this and to kind of go through this, I have a study Bible that I used, um, and again, it's you know, it gives you notes that are, that are created by scholars and people who really studied this scripture, um, which is I think was perfect for this book because mm-hmm. we wouldn't have caught a lot of the stuff, you know, if it was just me reading it. I don't think I would have caught it. Um, so let's give you some background first. Again, um, we're in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, um, where where if Ephesus. Is the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, it's actually the center of land and sea trade. So that's where a lot of this would happen. Um, and this is actually the same Ephesus that was written, that Paul wrote to when he wrote the book of Ephesians. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's like a wonderful connection. Thank you. Yeah. And I love that connection because I think we always try to think of the Bible as like different pieces. Mm-hmm. And we forget that it's all interconnected. Um, to make this cohesive storyline. Yeah. And I and so Paul wrote to them and 
you know, he, he continuously um, tried to, uh, you know, encourage them to persevere, uh, especially when it came to false teachers, mm-hmm. which is somebody who claims to know the truth of God, but they're really directing people the wrong way. Um, so he says, you know, that they need to persevere. And uh, in this book, we realize that they did. They were able to persevere and stay away from false teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, they became a large, proud church. And in God's eyes, that's not a good thing. Now, being large as far as the number of people, that's a good thing. But being a proud church, that's, that's a big no-no. So another aspect of this, what Paul saying, not Paul, sorry, John, John is saying here, or Jesus is saying through John, is he's humbling them. Because he basically says, hey, like, we could go into the verse, but basically he just says um, that, you know, if you don't repent, um, you're basically going to lose your position in the kingdom of God. And we've talked about previously, but repenting basically is just a way to say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did previously, Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to turn around doing a 180 and have my actions be different. Yes. And that's that's a big part of repenting, right? Is your actions matching with what you say? Um, and this is what they're being asked to do. Um, so Jesus is humbling them. He's taking the time to go, look, I'm going to point out every, every flaw of these different churches in hopes that you correct it before the end of, you know, before I return. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... Remember, during the time that John is writing this, people were convinced that the end of days was coming like immediate, very eminent. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, he, the, the church is commended because they fight against uh, sexual immorality, against uh, false teaching, and they also fight against being open to sin, meaning they don't tolerate blatant sin. They actually take the steps to eradicate it or fix it or deal with that situation. Um, but here's the question that arises, and I do want to read this straight from the text. Uh, it says, um, he, he says, verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. Remember, this is Jesus speaking to the church. He says, You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Um, so what is he saying here? Is he saying, look, you're doing a lot of churchy things, but your heart is not actually connected to God. You've lost Another way to say it is you've lost your first love. You've lost your enthusiasm for God. So the actions are good, but maybe the intent or motivation is where the the trouble lies. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I think that's where a lot of... I know that's where it hits me a lot of times is I'm still working um, in ministry or, or, you know, performing those tasks, but is my heart in it? Um, and so Jesus is basically saying, look, turn back to the way you were, uh, and repent from that behavior. So that's basically, you know, oh no, I'm sorry. And then he says, um, he does say when they repent that they will, you know, receive a reward. Do you remember what that reward was? So the reward for the church in Ephesus says that to the one who is victorious i will give the right to eat from the tree of life Mm -hmm. which is in the paradise of god that's uh revelation verse seven yeah so basically and and that's what's going to happen right god God is going to sit there and speak to the churches and say here's what you're doing really well here's what we need to improve on if i don't see improvement here's the the penalty um, if I do see the improvement or if you do repent, here's going to be the reward at the end. 
So again, like you said, that very sandwich model. Uh, let's go to the next church. So the next church is the church in Smyrna, starting at verse eight. Mm-hmm. Now there's not sorry, a lot ahead. really about this church. It only goes from verse eight to eleven. Yeah. So again, going into my research, this is called the Port of Asia because of their harbors that they had. This is basically an area not surrounded by water, but in a, with a lot of water, so they had a very good harboring system. Um, now they um, they were actually forced to, uh, or it was realized that, that that persecution and suffering was inevitable in their area because of so many people being against the church. And again, I think you know we've we've read about this throughout Acts, where as they're trying to spread the truth of the gospel, um, they're seeing or experiencing opposition. So um, in that, Jesus commends them um, or, or, or uh, acknowledges that they have kept the faith in the midst of their suffering. So even though they've suffered a lot, they've still stayed focused on Jesus. Well, and their reward is kind of linked to the suffering that they've had. In verse 11, it says, Again, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death, which is what we think of as the second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, so what that kind of gives them is this idea that, yes, you're suffering, but your suffering is going to be relatively short. It may seem like a long period of time, but in the grand scheme, it's going to be relatively short. So uh, was there anything more about this particular church? That stuck out to you. I just thought it was really interesting that he's so specific where he says in verse 10, it talks about that they will put some of you in prison to test mm -hmm. you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Like, it's not like, okay, you're going to be in prison for an extended amount of time or you're just going to prison. Just 10 days. And mm -hmm. for some reason, like, that specificity stood There's out a word to me. For you. Yes. I don't know if it's a real word. We'll have to look it up, but yeah. I like the way it sounded. So Well and part of that, um, them being so specific is like I just said, this is hey, our persecution is gonna be short lived. It doesn't last forever. Because think about it, if you were in prison for ten days, while you're in prison, that's gonna seem like an eternity. Right? Especially because you're adjusting, you're trying to survive, whatever is going on. But when you're out of prison and time has elapsed and time has passed, you're going to look at it and go, oh, I was only in there for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So, um... Are you ready to go to Pergamum? Pergamum. Per 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 Pergamum. Pergamum. Starting with verse 12. Okay. So, let me jump to my notes here and then we'll talk about, um... Talk about, uh the actual reward system for this. So, Pergamum, Pergamum, sorry, that's going to be a tricky one to say. It's the center of Greek culture, and it had a great, like, educational area. Um, it's a very sophisticated city. They actually had a library with over 200,000 pieces of, like, art or literature so that was my favorite part of the research for this week yes the whole week like i mean not the whole week but that was really all she was excited for um but with that there was a this was the center of cults around this area uh the notes that i had had four different cults it did not give me any names or any specifics so i don't know um the sources for that um but people would come from all over the surrounding areas to come to this place because they wanted healing. Whether that was physical healing or uh, mental, emotional healing, some type of healing. Which could also explain for the cults. Mm -hmm. Because that was something that they probably offered um, in these different cults. And that's how they brought people in. You know, because... Mm -hmm. We've done a little bit of research on that with different documentaries we've watched. Another thing that this area that was called was where Satan has his throne. 
the reason it was called that is because this area, um, Pergamum, <laughs> um, was surrounded by groups of Satan worshippers. But in the midst of that, we see that this church remained faithful. They did not fall into worshipping other gods or worshipping Satan or joining cults. So um, they were able to remain faithful. That means that um, basically, yeah, they, they stayed firm in their belief with Jesus. And we'll see their reward comes to us from verse 17. It says, To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, going back to the reward from Ephesus, how it talks about the tree of life, we know that this is a reference to the tree of life, the one that's in the Garden of Eden. And the hidden manna, I would think that that is like the manna that the children of Israel were given when they were wandering in the wilderness. Well, let me go ahead and take a quick look. I do have a note here, so I'm going to go ahead and read that on that verse. It says, we don't know what the white stones are or exactly um, what the name on each stone will be because they uh, relate to the hidden manna. This may be uh, symbols of the believer's eternal nourishment of the security of um, eternal life. The stones are significant because each will bear the na new name of a person who truly believes in Christ. They will prove that a person has been accepted by God and declared worthy to receive eternal life. A person's name represented his or her character. Look, for, look forward to receiving your new name and a new heart that has no desire to sin or rebel against God. Are we ready for Thyatira? Thyatira. Starting in verse 18. Okay, so once again, I'm just going to jump to my notes super quick. Um, it says that this was purely a secular city. It had no faith or religion. Yes, there was a church there, but that wasn't like all the other cities. The church was more prominent. This is, this is a very small church. Um, they were commended for growing in their faith, even though they're surrounded by sin, by horrible behaviors and bad choices. Um, one of which was sexual immorality. Um, this is actually where Jesus um, speaks out against a woman named who, who the author calls Jezebel. Now this could have been the lady's actual name or it could have been a callback to Jezebel who's earlier in the Bible um, who was very wicked like just did not live for God did the opposite of that. But in Revelation chapter 2 the Jezebel they're referring to she considered herself a prophet uh, but she taught uh, what she taught caused people to turn away from Jesus um, and become servants into sexual immorality and, you know, just sacrificing the wrong foods to idols and things like that. So she really kind of put a, put a not so great spin on the church. I think you mean to say instead of sacrificing the wrong foods to idols, that she was causing people to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. Yes. Let's clarify. I was, I was reading my <laughs> notes while I was saying it. So, um, But yeah, so she caused a lot of people to fall into sexual immorality or sexual sin. Um, and I think this is actually really relevant to, to where we are now. Should we go over the reward and then you can read the note about... Uh, we'll get there, okay. yes. Cool. I do want to point out one more thing. Um, it actually mentions that God is giving Jezebel time to repent, but she refuses. And I think that's relevant to many of our lives. God gives us time to turn to Him, to repent from what we've done, but often our stubbornness stops us from doing it. And that, so that's one of the thing, issues that's going on here. Um, as those that have fallen away are not repenting because they're stubborn 
or they don't believe in what's being said. But for those who were faithful, let's go over that reward. So this is actually the longest reward that we see. It's going to take us from verse 26 to 29. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that last verse, um, talking about hearing what the Spirit says to the churches, this has been the way that he's been ending each and every one of these letters so Mm -hmm. far. So, those are the churches we're going to talk about in this chapter. Chapter 3 is going to go through the rest of the remaining Churches. Yes, we'll look at Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Yeah, so we're not done with this conversation. Um, but there is one thing that I really wanted to kind of put my finger on. We're going to go all the way back to verse 6. So that means we're talking about um, the Ephesus once again. He says one of the things uh, in verse 6, he says... Um, but you have this in your favor. So he's not ju- he's not talking about correction anymore. He's once again going back to here's something you're doing really well. You hate the practices of the Nicol- Nicolaitans, I think is how you say it, which I ha- also hate. Now, this sounds like a strong statement, but listen to what it says. It says you hate the practices of these people. And a further note will, you know, let us know that they were into some really depraved, really some crazy stuff. But I want to read the note on verse 6. It says, Through John, Jesus commended the church in Ephesus for hating the wicked practices of these people. Note, they did not hate the people, just the sinful practices. We should accept and love uh, all people, but refuse to tolerate any evil practices in the church. Being tolerant is, a, is good when it means treating people uh, with other points of view than ours with kindness rather than prohibiting them from expressing themselves or retaliate, retaliating against them. But it does not require us to agree with or applaud what they do. We should welcome and love all people. We can be kind to others without compromising what God defines as true or good. The world needs Christians who will stand for God's truth and point people toward godly living. Now, why would I read this? What what would cause me to want to read this? Well, I've always felt like the fact that there are groups of the church that discriminately hate people simply for an action or a way of life is is not biblical. Would you agree with that? Well, I always like to point out to people that the big thing, like the takeaway, the one main focus that Jesus has given us is love one another. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, there's no caveats. There's no only love them if they're like you. Yeah. So, hatred has no place in the kingdom of God. And, unfortunately, you and I have both seen in this year alone, or let's say 2020, and this year, hatred for people. Mm-hmm. Right? No matter what the community is, there's always some level of hatred. And this honestly points out, like, even if they're different from you, give them the freedom to express themselves and be who they are, but love them all the same. You don't have to agree with their policies or who they are. You just have to show them love. And I think we need this message to kind of end everything out um, because there's so much going on in the last couple years that are just abysmal and unfortunately it seems like sometimes the church leads this hatred instead of eradicates it Mm -hmm. so 
I really just wanted, like, I read this last night. I read that note probably three or four times. It just hit me right in the heart. And I just wanted to put that to you guys. Um, no matter your beliefs, no matter um, what you think, we are here to show love. We're here to show that we care. Um, and that's what we're here for. Yes. I was going to ask you to pray when you're ready to close. Mm -hmm. But first we will plug the socials. Plug everything in. So, yeah, that's the Bible study for this week. Um, I'm definitely going to encourage you throughout all of Revelation. Read the chapter for yourself. Because we only went through a glimpse of what was in there. Uh, it's just an overview. So, please read it. Please take notes. I'm going to start taking notes because this is a book that is dense. There's a lot to it. Um, so, hope you guys enjoyed that. Feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. You can go to BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com for more stories and articles and just different things that we've written. Um, please go, go ahead and jump to my other podcast, Wrestling With Faith. You can download that. Anywhere you can find podcasts, it will be on there. Um, other than that, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Uh, and we thank you for these letters to each church. And I know that we, if when we study it, we can relate to one of these churches. So we, I thank you for the lessons that you're teaching us. I just pray that our hearts are ready for what you are uh, ready to bring for what you are ready to teach us and show us through this, this study. I ask that you would continue to walk with us, uh, whether we're in, we're in good times, bad times. We know that you are with us, that you love us. You are guiding our path as well as you are protecting our back. So we thank you for that protection. Um, we just ask God that if there's anything in our lives that we need to repent of, we need to fix, we need to um, give over to you, ask that we'd be able to do that. Help us to stand firm in your word so that we can know what what to do when those when those difficult times show up. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and the death of your son that gave us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, thank you guys. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at BeautifulFeetEntertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.